Hello and welcome to Raise Your Vibes. Today I'm very fortunate to have another esteemed author like myself. Um, this is Maggie, Maggie Petraki. Maggie, welcome to the podcasted show of Raise Your Vibes. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Maggie, tell us all about your amazing book that you've been writing. What's it called? Right. Where can I find it? What's it about? So my book is called Escaping the Egyptian Narcissist, and it's available now on Amazon as a paperback and Kindle, and it's available in all marketplaces, so you can get it on .com, .de, wherever you are, you can get it. And my book is basically about my life with a narcissist. I talk about how I was sucked into the abuse, how I was manipulated into moving to Egypt and then I have the ultimate epiphany and I describe how I escape and then of mm -hmm. course at the end I I wanted to add a lot of value so I added um, my biggest life lessons and then I also add the things that helped me get past the pain that I suffered after the abuse yeah. and then just a little added <laughs> value right at the end, I put some letters and the very last thing that I write is the letter to the narcissist himself. Wow. Of course, the, the intention is not that he reads it, but no, no. it's a very powerful message to those of you who are escaping the narcissist yourself and trying to build yourself up again. I think this book is directed to, directly at you guys to build yourselves up get past the pain and suffering that you've experienced and live a life that is full and happy and just joyful. Okay. Okay, Maggie, we were, we were talking about love bombing and we were talking about how um, quite a lot of this complex part of the id and the ego and the narcissist and the love bombing is also part of control and culture. And we were, we were talking about the fact that this right. could be not just one particular place, it could be across many other places. Now, your particular scenario, you were talking about someone you had met in Greece who was educated, okay? Correct. I was explaining that it's very interesting that I've got the other dynamic to that, that in my particular scenario, this particular narcissist happened to be uneducated, very, very smart, very smart. I would basically say educated on the school of life, the university of life. Okay. So it's interesting how right. on those, both of those spectrums, both of these narcissists are on that um, equilibrium. You know, there's no, Definitely. there's no definition of a narcissist in, you know, you, you're going to say, oh, because you're wealthy, you're like this, or because you're poor, you're like this. No, they come in all shapes, all sizes, all colors. So would you like to continue yes. about your particular journey with your particular narcissist, um, removing you away from obviously your family, your friends? Would you like to continue where we left off? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so I got to a point where I was living in Cairo, right? Right. And he was controlling every last thing that you can imagine you know like from 
what I was wearing, who I was talking to, when I would leave the house, he would actually make me fearful of stepping outside of my own apartment. So I had literally become a prisoner of my own home. Okay, may I ask and you? He, may I ask you what your yeah, clothing? Sure. What, may I ask you? Sorry, I will be interrupting in between because for our listeners, it might be interesting to know what that concept of clothing was like. Um, you know, people will have no idea that a narcissist will start chipping away at your whole essence, at your whole being. And it starts with very subtle things, exactly. doesn't it? It can be things you're eating. It can be the way you talk, the way you sit, the way you, the way you even breathe, the way you maybe even go to the bathroom, yeah. the way you wash your hands, the way you even maybe innocently smile at someone. It might be that you've not put your head down quick enough. You know, you've not lowered your gaze. Oh, or, yeah. There's so many levels of control. It, it's, it's, it's beyond me. So in your particular instance, I mean, um, when you're saying your clothing change, would you mind going into a bit more depth at how that particular narcissist started to eat away at your, your whole personality and your character through your clothes? Sure. Sure. I mean, the way I see this is that They, like, rightfully, just the way you said it, they are so detailed in the way that they chip away who you are, right? So using clothing as an example, it went from me literally dressing as a, let's call it, quote-unquote, a skater girl, you know, with Vans hoodie and, you know, big kicks. I'm a skater girl. That song's coming into my head. (laughs) Exactly. That's who I was. That's how I saw myself back then. And then... All of a sudden, I went 180 to a woman who wears dresses and high heels and all of a sudden wears makeup because that was the only way I would be acceptable to him. Of was course, it, it started slowly. Was it like that in when you sudden, were, was it like that when you were in, um, you know, in the other country or was it as soon as you were in their particular domain, their particular culture? Yeah, good question. Um, It started from the very beginning, but the intensity level reached an all-time high as soon as I set ground in Egypt. That's where the the abuse just went sky high. Yeah. I mean, initially, we don't don't sort of notice because it does become very, very subtle. I personally have experience of this too, and I'm sure many of our listeners would be similar because um, for me... I actually come from a particular culture that was Muslim in my particular, you know, I haven't asked the religion actually of the narcissist you're dealing with because religion does take a part, but it's not religion, it's culture, it's tradition, Right. you know, because we know that, you know, the the world is a very diverse place. Um, For me personally, I was very liberal and I, like you, skater boy, for example, I was wearing Tupac t-shirts, Eminem t-shirts. Yeah, <laughs> baseball caps. Um, Beautiful. Very, very. Who, who? What you see is what you get. And ironically, my t-shirts yeah. were stolen from me, in the sense that he started wearing them because they were baggy and they were <gasps> long. And he was like, "This is so cool! I can't believe you're wearing this." And I was like, "But that's my t-shirt." You know, when you get attached to a particular t-shirt, uh, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. Um, but ironically, over the years, very subtly, 
I did start to dress more modest, if I'm honest. Now, some of that is because uh -huh. of where I worked, if I'm honest with you. Okay? Because, you know, wherever you work, whatever you do, you, you will change to suit the clientele and to suit the culture. And obviously, in some countries, there's rules. Like, for example, in Egypt, there are rules saying that you must cover your shoulders, you know, in places of employment. You must cover, you, mu you must not wear tank shop tops and t-shirts, for example. Um, your skirts must right. be yeah. a particular length. Now, that might sound strange to some listeners, but it's about respecting the culture and respecting the place where exactly. you live and showing respect, you know. Um, some people don't necessarily get that, you know, um, because in other right. cultures... You know, it's quite acceptable. It's the norm to be able to dress like that and to be like that. So when somebody else does a complete opposite, um, you know, there are different connotations. And in Egypt especially, um, I mean, I've traveled all over the place, but in Egypt especially, there are lots and lots of connotations for a female just by the way she's dressed, just by the way she's looked. Because you are representing that, that man. Uh, it doesn't matter what they do. This is where there's this contradiction and double standards. A lot of them. A lot of them. One yep. of the famous Arabic words I learned was manafik, which, is, which means double standards. And I, I personally now call right. it manafikism. You know? Because it is. It's double standards. <laughs> it's double standards. You can do what you want, homeboy, but I can't. But, you know, I'll point the oh, finger yeah. at you. So it's quite interesting how clothes become... Uh, a part of control, you know, and a part of dominating yeah, you and taking away your whole essence and being. Um, and it's interesting how it chips away slowly, and I mean slowly. I can give you a scenario. So my, my particular experience was um, I was told, you know, as soon as we were married legally, I mean, legally, Okay. So prior to that, I'm the tomboy, right. I'm wearing baggy trousers on my days off, you know, from work, I'm wearing the baggy trousers, I'm wearing the baggy t-shirts, sometimes I'm wearing very beautiful dresses, uh, it's up to me, I've got a voluptuous figure, but I'm always wearing something what I think is modest, okay, and a majority right. of my clothes were from the UK, so very smartly dressed, and slowly it was a case of, oh, you need to cover your stomach, and I'm like, what? Now, my blouses would always come down to, like, my waist anyway. But there was this right. whole thing about you need to cover your stomach and you need to cover your bottom and you need to do this and you need to... My own employer wasn't even saying that, even though there was modesty rules, you know? And there yeah. are times when... And I'm tall. I'm five foot ten. So on some things on me do look short, you know, some particular blouses, you know, because everyone's got a different figure. But I can remember famously, just before we went on our honeymoon, official honeymoon, um, I was made to go to a shop, a sports shop, to, to buy a pair of shorts that would cover my legs and a t-shirt to cover the top half of my body. That was the compromise, by the way. Okay? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Been there, done believe that. it or not, yeah. I was repeatedly told, where's your diving suit? Because I also was like a Baywatch babe. So I was out surfing. <laughs> and swimming in the, in the sea. Hence that I'm saying to you, very independent female. Um, 
And the diving suit I wore because one, it would keep me protected from the sun's rays. It keep me, you know, from harming my body in the sea. But also it would stop people leering at me because there's quite a lot of sexual harassment around the world, not just in specific countries. But the thing is, in this country, for the listeners who are not aware and have not been to Egypt, even if you are dressed modestly, just as yeah, a side note here, asterisk, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Exactly. No. You're going to get harassed no matter what. Yes. Does the modest clothing help in certain circumstances? No. Probably. Mm. But <laughs> most of the time, it doesn't matter what you wear. No. Really. No. My narcissist told me that if I dared to wear shorts in Cairo, <laughs> that I would be raped. What? That's, That's just, what he told me. Yeah, that. I mean, that in itself is like it's set in fear, isn't it? I mean, yeah. ironically for me, in my particular scenario, I didn't take my diving suit with me. It stayed in the other country where I was working. And when I did take the shorts and the whatever, I was mad. Trust me. You can tell from my personality, I'm not someone to tolerate silliness. And I'll stand my yeah. ground. I'm very much a feminist. This particular occasion, I made the compromise because... I thought to myself, we're staying in a hotel, there's going to be some idiots. To stop sexual harassment, to stop people leering at me, I will do it for myself. But this is the compromise. You can keep thinking it's for you, but it's not really, it's for me. Now, the ironic thing was, the first day, the first day of the honeymoon, we were sat by the pool, which is something he didn't like to do, okay? But he did, he came by the pool, he's there in his particular shorts, he's got his t-shirt on he didn't even take his t-shirt off which quite a lot of people do they normally show off the whole pecs and whatever okay and oh, yeah. he is he is very very well built by the way so normally you would expect him to be showing off he didn't a woman a young woman walked past in a bikini in a bikini he commented oh my god look at her i wouldn't mind him um, I was like, excuse you, me? What the did you just say? And I well, did it publicly. Users like that love saying things like that yeah. just to get a rise out of you. Yeah. Because now, they feed off that anger. Yes. They love making their victims angry. So, what I did, I did react, and I told that person where to go. And this person is a very strong character like me. But he needed to put in his place because this is now the start of our official marriage. And if you think you can control me and what I'm wearing, then look at someone else like that. You got another thing coming. So I let rip and off he sulked for the whole entire week in the hotel room. It was the best honeymoon oh, yeah. I had because it was peace and quiet. I chilled by the pool and did what I needed to do and didn't have him bugging my head. But that was the, that was the double standards narcissists love <laughs> ruining the most important occasions in yes. people's lives including yes. honeymoons, honeymoons. <laughs> christmases ramadans you know aids uh they love ruining birthdays they love ruining valentine's day they love ruining every single day that could potentially mean something to you and if i may i do have one story that that i sure, um, please share. wrote in the book but i'd love to share it here um there was one time, it was a Valentine's Day, right? Yeah. So I, as per usual, had to beg him 
to go out with me for Valentine's Day because it wasn't simple. I couldn't just be like, hey, let's go. Okay, let's go together. Yeah, it didn't work that way, no, right? Same. So I had to beg him, please, please, dear Narcissus, let's go, let's go. I really want to spend time with you. I love you. You're my best friend, blah, 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 doing the whole thing just to, like, you know, schmooze him into going. He finally reluctantly agreed, and we get to his favorite bar because he wouldn't go anywhere else, right? It had to be the most expensive bar in Cairo. So we went and I had prepared a Valentine's Day card for him, right? Because I didn't want to come empty handed. He of course came empty handed because the last thing he wanted to do was prepare something kind and honest for me, right? So I of course wrote a really lovely card and I started pulling it out of my bag handing it over to him, we were drinking pink champagne, it was all so romantic, but we were already on the wrong foot because he didn't even want to be there. He takes the card, he opens it up, right? Mm-hmm. And I had written this beautiful thing, so such a beautiful, nice writing, a poem, it was exquisite, right? And he just drops the card on the table. And I, I looked at him in just absolute disgust and with hatred because I knew he wasn't going to read it because he was too embarrassed to read it right so then I asked him why don't you just want to read the damn card what the hell is wrong with you I started you know causing a fight with him and he looked at me and he was like I can't read something like that there's blood on it and I said what what the hell are you talking about and that was the day one of the many days where I realized that he came up with these psychopathic hypochondriac reasons as to why he can't do something or to get out of something. So he actually pretended to have a fear of blood that day in order to get out of reading a beautiful card that I had written for him. So I was so angry, but I still wanted to have the moment. So I read the card out loud to him and was crying because I meant it. And he just was looking the other way. He wasn't even listening. He just wanted to get completely out of it. And that was just the perfect example of a day that meant something to me. And was absolutely ruined. And he would come up with the stupidest excuses to not do something. It was bizarre. I mean, I have... At this point? um, I was probably 23 at the time. Right. So you're well into your relationship then at this point. You well into that relationship? Yeah, we were probably yeah three years in at that point. Too late by yeah. then. And Too late by then. You hooked. Yeah. You you sucked in. You changed. Yeah, you formatted. Totally. I mean, also the fact that they're making these bizarre things. You you end up making excuses for them too. I had similar where I tried to get him to go out yeah. to go and do things with me. He could easily go to a cafe and sit in a very very shady cafe with his friends and drink water for like five hours one bottle of water for five six hours and watch the football and then when the football channel was at home which was the excuse of going to the cafe by the way he wouldn't even stay home right and ironically we would go out all the time because i am very much outgoing person and then as soon as i was i guess married married no, 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 no. All that had to change. All that had to change. Now, don't yeah, get me wrong. Yeah, you have to be quiet and look down all the time. Yeah. And this is what I'm saying about, like, they, they control every aspect. I can recall us going somewhere in Cairo 
and getting lost and needing directions. And he asked a police officer, oh, where is this place and where is this place? And I'm brought up with manners. So I, he, he explained something to the policeman. The policeman told him where to go, da, 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 da. And I just looked at the policeman and went, shukran, as in thank you. And all hell broke loose. Uh-huh. All hell broke loose because I had spoken to another man. And I'm like, what do you think I do all day, every day at work? <laughs> because I'm speaking to people from different cultures, different traditions, um, different genders. What do you think I do when you're not there? You know, and this this whole complex... Yeah, side. absolutely. And also then there's this fear in them as well that they're going to lose you to someone else. And they oh, use yeah. the same stupid uh, responses of, oh, well, you're foreign. And we know what foreign people, women are like. They just go with anyone. And you're like, excuse me? Excuse me? No, yeah, that's not the case. I'm committed to you. I'm in a marriage to you. Totally. And you're the only person that I'm totally... In- that's the other thing they do. They make sure that you are also besotted, loyal, but they're not necessarily doing the same. That's why I said the word monarchic. No. Double standards. It's interesting all the different dynamics, isn't it? So... What what made you spur on Absolutely. with your book? Was it when you left this relationship? Was it um, after dealing with the trauma? What made you write your... What's your book title first? Let's start there. Sure. So my book is called Escaping the Egyptian Narcissist. And I wrote this book after about, I want to say, two years of healing. So... Mm. I had gone through, by the way, the relationship in total was five years. Right. Okay. And I needed two years to just figure out what the hell was going on. Sure. You know, they, these narcissists, they just infiltrate your system so much that you just don't know what's up and what's down anymore. Right. You know, so I had to become reacquainted with myself, essentially. Yeah. And I was self-destructive. I was drinking like crazy, smoking cigarettes nonstop, partying like an animal, you know, going on date after date after date. and Because you lost. Quit. Because you lost, Maggie. You lost. And, you know, they, they make you, you know, a bit like an Eminem song. You're losing connection, Maggie. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, that's better. A bit like an Eminem song. Uh, who also is one of my idols? <laughs> it's that it's that whole concept of his lyrics of you got to lose yourself, and you know part yeah. of, part of you is like escaping that trauma by not accepting what's happened. So you you escape into something else and get lost for a while because your your soul's right, hurt and, and you don't want to look at yourself. You 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 can tell I've done a lot of psychoanalysis, can't you? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And I, and I have to say, though, I realized something along the way, which for everyone else around me was totally obvious. But when you're in the situation, you just don't know. Yeah. I realized that this whole problem of being placed in a relationship with a narcissist comes from a total lack of self-esteem. At least that was my case. Yeah. So not only did I enter this relationship with a lack of self-esteem, which put me in harm's way, and sure. in turn after the relationship continued to be a problem, sure. but the self-esteem issue came from a history 
of narcissistic abuse in my family. Correct. Which I only realized when I started writing the book. Sure. So finally, when I got to writing it about a year ago, I realized that all these connections started happening in my mind. Like, oh my God, so this family member treated me this way, which made me believe this and that, you know, like making all these, like putting the constellation together essentially. And that's why I was able to write the book. You know, I had this real, like this moment of clarity of understanding my situation. I just knew that I had to put it down on paper for others who are struggling with the exact same thing to just read it and feel the validation because we all need it. The people like us who have experienced this type of abuse, narcissistic Mm -hmm. abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, whatever it may be, any form of abuse, we need to hear it from others. We have to hear other people's stories. The more we read, the more we understand, the more we can look inside ourselves and understand what the hell is going on in this crazy experience of life. It's not just that. It's empathy as well it's empathy for another human being because you'll know yourself that when you're in that narcissistic relationship and again with like with you it wasn't my first what roller coaster you know right but i'm still wise i mean for me i was 37 right when i entered this scenario you're younger you're younger and it's no offense as in you know your life experience is different i've lived a little bit I'd seen a little bit more than you. I'd experienced a bit more than you. You know what I mean? And um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're wise, but I came from it from a totally different aspect that um, I had dealt with narcissistic people throughout my life. Now, in my particular scenario, I didn't have self-esteem issues. I didn't have self-love issues because that's another aspect as well. What What I did have was potentially family issues wanting wanting a family of my own you know wanting because i was never married up to that point i wanted children i still haven't got them by the way okay i wanted the whole um you know the back of your head i wasn't expecting to ever get married that's that's the honest truth so this relationship came as a big surprise to me that i got everything that i wanted also the faith happened to be very simple well it was the faith of my family which came as a surprise to me because that was everything that i had run away from right right but here it was this surprise and i'm thinking what is this about what is this big message about and that was the other thing that i kept like struggling with because every time i had this concept of a particular faith and again i'm not criticizing a faith just to make it clear i am not criticizing any particular religion either i'm just saying in this particular scenario this is what happened and culturally it's very different for each person right but for me this person kept saying this is this this is this and i'm like no it doesn't say that actually in that particular way and no it's not that and no it's not that my my faith was tested many many times my patience was tested many many times but i realize that my strong character which was my quality my essence my being my charm that was almost like he was like a leech and sucking it and sucking it and sucking it to the point where yeah yeah, and it was going to be slowly nothing left and i'm also into reiki i'm into healing um from my educational background um 
I was put on a pedestal as well in that family. Like, look at her. She's, she's amazing. But at the same time, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. So I, that I would be controlled and it would be financial abuse, mental abuse, yeah? Control about where I go, what I do. It was on so many different narcissistic levels. Like I said, you do not see it coming. But ironically for me, it started with the clothing, which is where we started our topic, you know? And all the things that initially, like you, you love bombs, you're going out to the cafes, you're going out, um, you're side by side. I had never had a partner who would, like you, I would see every day. In fact, I would get bored. I'd be like, see you later, go home. (laughs) You know? Because I'm very independent and I like my own space. There's some people... Oh my God, and I'm sure the narcissist hated that. Yeah. There are some people... That absolutely um, hates being on their own. I met many, many people, many people on my travels where they were, you know, they had broken marriages, for example, broken relationships. They were very needy. You can see the narcissist in others as well. But in my particular, you know, experience, I was independent. I'd got myself a job. I was financially secure. Um, I was happy-go-lucky. I was off, like I said, doing various things. But it was also like a challenge to that individual of I'm going to yeah. take you out and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And it's continued uh-huh. like that after six years. And um, Lots of promises. ironically, what was my strength and my qualities which made them marry me, now ironically is the complete opposite where I'm insulted and told, oh, you're, you're like a man, you're not a woman because you're strong. Which, yeah. which means that basically I can't control you. You're too, you're too independent. Yeah. You know? And I don't like that I can't control you because yeah. I'm a man and you're a woman yeah. and you're inferior and this is the patriarchy, yeah. so F you. Basically. I can, I can remember very say. early on, which ironically some of my friends still look at, you know, and go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Was that not a red flag? So I'll explain the scenario. So very early on in our relationship, uh, he was actually, you know, he was someone that what I liked about him was that he, he helped me out. He would clean. He would iron. I never had anybody iron for me. I had nobody. I didn't have a partner cooking for me. Also from that faith and religion, they, this was like a godsend. I was like, woo, I'm so lucky. I'm blessed. But that was also a part of the narcissistic underlying entrapment because as I found out later, with different people, that perspective changed. My famous story is in the kitchen where he's making breakfast. And uh, in the breakfast scenario, he's making like an omelette. He is, uh, you know, at this point, I think I'm very lucky because he is making breakfast for me. I've ne- never had a partner do that. It was a lovely surprise. But for some reason, we got into a heated d- discussion. I don't know what it was about, but we got into a very heated argument. And I'm someone who is normally very calm, very, you know, quiet. But I have got that side of me that will not tolerate anybody doing certain things. And that's because of my prior past where I have been, unfortunately, abused. I've been uh, verbally, mentally, physically abused. I've witnessed abuse growing up and you become traumatized. You become stigmatized. You begin to think this is normality and it's not. 
okay it's not but that's part of the narcissistic control as well and that environment you know you don't know any different until you step right, out of absolutely. there so um in this particular scenario when he's making breakfast and he's making the omelet he happens to be cutting up tomatoes and onions and whatever in his hand and um next thing i know he's waving the knife in my face and threatening to cut me from you know one side of my face to another and at that point i had options and what i did very coolly very calmly i did the crocodile dundee version of the famous film and i went over to the kitchen drawer and i took out a, a butcher knife and i took the butcher knife out and i waved it in his face and said don't you ever ever threaten me ever again you even raise your voice to me you'll find out what's going to happen to you with this butcher knife now i want to just make it very very clear by the way to, to our listeners that i am not in any shape form whatever condoning violence of any forms at all self-defense is a different topic in this particular predicament i was not obviously going to stab him with the knife but the point was I had to stand my ground and call his bluff. It was also partly calling his bluff. And I remember seeing his face just go white like that. Uh -huh. And he looked at me with a face of, are you effing crazy? I said, yes, I am. I said, if you ever, ever do that to me again and threaten me again, whether it's a joke, whether it's in a heated topic, there's the door. See you later because i will not be held responsible for what i do back to you if you take a knife out on me right. his face went paler and you could tell he was struggling massively with his ego it was the first time someone had put him in his place yeah and yeah. for me i didn't realize what i had what the impact actually of what i had done for myself at that point till years later because i was like don't you ever do that to me again yeah and all he kept saying is you're crazy you're crazy i said yeah i must be crazy if i'm staying with you you know yeah. so it was interesting right. how these power dynamics they would try to unwind they would try to 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 basically knock you down knock you down and each time I realized that in that narcissistic relationship, I had to stand my ground. I had to fight my boundaries. And I had to say, no, this is what I tolerate. And no, this is what I will tolerate. But you're not beating me. Right. And, you know, he, he has said, you are the strongest person I know. You're like a man. Which to me is like a compliment because it means you're strong. You're strong, you're independent, you're fierce. And I kept reminding him, you knew that when you married me. I told right. you straight up, don't mess with me. You know, because I will. Oh, he, kn he knew what he was dealing with. <laughs> Make no mistake. I know. He chose you on purpose. purpose. Yep. Fully knowing what he was getting himself into because he wanted the challenging person. He wanted the one who would stand up for herself no matter what. Yeah. And, and try to put him in his place and he would have that wonderful power struggle which they love you know they yeah. love that fight so much they it's it what's it, it literally makes them feel alive yeah. because they're just empty on the inside it's, they're black it's the gaslighting 
pits of hell yeah Yeah. you're, you're right it comes back to this concept of gaslighting but also like you're you're right to use that metaphor of igniting the flame it's almost like they need the drama to to make them feel like they're wanted like if i get a reaction she loves me if i don't get a reaction she doesn't love me and it's this weird freaking complex that you're thinking what the hell like what 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 is this that's not love as tina Tina says that's not love's not got a thing to do with it but I will always remember that conversation. I remember another occasion, years later, where, you know, playfully, playfully, he'd never laid a finger on me, by the way, which is ironic after what I found out later on. But um, he, one time he was play fighting, shall we say, right? And all of a sudden I felt this like tap on my face. Now it was a gentle tap, I'm being clear. And for our listeners, I feel like I have to keep putting these clauses out there. But um, next thing I know, out of the pits of my stomach, I just punched him in the face. (gasps) Wow. His face again, when, because when he was tapping me, it it wasn't a gentle tap. Initially it was. Then it got very hard. Yeah. Right. Where it was not out of love anymore. You know, like couples do. Couples have like a... They pretend to... Fight. I mean, me and him, we would arm wrestle. We would have this competition because we were both strong. There were times when he was a bit of an idiot. But at the end of the yeah. day, I loved him. As you do. You know, so when your partner is is like playfully like fighting with you and tapping you on the face and then tries to do a proper smack. No, 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 no. That was not going to happen to me. And the next thing I know is out of nowhere, I punched him straight in the face, nearly gave him a black eye. And I had to remove myself to go to another room for over an hour and calm down. Because I knew I was going to end up doing something where he was going to end up in a grave. Let's put it that way. Okay? And again, for our listeners, just to put a close out there, I am not condoning violence at all. (laughs) This it's clear <laughs> 100% clear but there are times when these narcissists will think that by doing little things like that I can control this person now when I did come back into the room to apologise I did apologise I, I, I said you should never have done that because you knew my background you knew my history and I had told you never lay a finger on me and I had told you that I will never tolerate that because I've witnessed too many things. So my gut instinct reaction was to punch you in the face. And I know that was the first time that someone's done that to you that's female. And there was a big mark on his face. His whole face was red. And I said to him, don't ever do that again. Because that was actually a light punch. You know? <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. But I said to him, what you need to understand, and I told you from day one, is that Nolia, I'm a very patient person. But when you press those wrong buttons in me, woo-wee, are you going to see a different side? And he's, and he, I think also he was testing it. Like narcissistically and gaslighting it, pressing those buttons. Let's see what reaction we get. She's probably all oh, talk, probably that. all steam. No, 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 no. You got your ass whooped. 
You got your ass whooped. You never did it again. Because you didn't. Okay? Yeah. And <laughs> he probably knew if he tried it again that it would be the end. And, of course, what a narcissist doesn't want is to lose the narcissistic supply, right? Sure. Because they can't live without their narcissist. And they always have the one primary narcissistic supply, which was you. So it comes as no surprise <laughs> that all of a sudden he won't do it again. He won't try it again. He needed you. Yeah. And the ironic thing was I didn't need him. Now, I've made that very clear from the start of the relationship. They also select, don't you find it interesting that they select people that are independent, that are well-traveled, well-educated, well-versed, well-knowledgeable. Yeah. And uh -huh. it's them that need us. We want them. That's the difference. The female or the male, because remember, it can be a dynamic, a different dynamic. But we want them. There's a difference. We don't need them, we want yeah, them. Big time. And as soon as you change that different concept, you see, as an English teacher, which is my bread and butter, you know, words are important, words are very powerful. And I've always said, I don't need you, I want you. When I don't need you, there's the door. See you later. Bye. Ciao. Nice knowing you. Masalama. Yeah, and, and do you know what? I, I actually experienced something a little bit different to what you just described okay i started off independent and well-traveled and all those you know nice adjectives and descriptions you used before but <laughs> once i got into the relationship with him and we were full on yeah. it changed all of a sudden i became so hyper dependent on him that i'll, I'll give you an example you're lagging maggie you're lagging Maggie, you're lagging. Hello, hello. Hello, that might be better. Oops. Yeah. Is it working now? Yeah, you were lagging. Perfect. Uh, I was just um, explaining how one time he had to go to the army because when oh, you yeah, graduate um, university or you finish high school, in Egypt, you have mandatory, yeah. you know, army service. At least so he, did it. he had to go take <laughs> off, and and he disappeared to for one month. Yeah. And just before he left, my world came crashing down because I was so dependent on him. He made me that way. I craved him, and when he was gone for that month, I fell into the probably one of the deepest depressions of my life. I would come home after university, fall on the floor, fall into fetal position and sob and heave because I was so distressed without him around. I didn't know who I was without him. Yeah. I was so connected to, because that that's what happens, right? In a narcissistic relationship, you become literally the shadow of that narcissist, of that yeah. abuser. You're not a person. No, you don't no. have an identity. Because they, they take away your whole concept and being, they take away your personality. Like I said to you, it's that concept of a leech. They, they suck the blood out of you. They suck out everything. And you could say it's a vampire as well. You could say a different concept. But it's the point that you are not you anymore. You're not. You, yeah. lose, you lose your whole identity. Now, were you working or were you just at university? 
Um, when we first started dating, I was in university, and right. then I graduated and spent one whole year working in Egypt. Right. And he hated it. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And the reason why he hated it is an obvious one. He wasn't working. Um, and he hated the fact that I was making money and he wasn't, he absolutely loathed it. And I'll tell you something else. His father was a hardcore narcissist. I realized upon leaving, right? Yeah, it's but a genetic, a it's a cultural and, thing and it's a role model thing. Yeah. The apple right, doesn't fall far so from the tree. I, right. And, and so I was, I was sitting, I'll never forget this. I was sitting in the, the bedroom with the narcissist and his father and I was talking about how I had just gotten the job and it was so exciting I was going to finally make money for the first time in my whole life right mm. and the father looked directly at the narcissist straight in the eye and he said oh what so she's going to start taking care of you now so now I can finally cut you off the narcissist just went you know like yeah. sharp gaze yeah. glazed over yeah. he was so pissed off he You've didn't just talk insulted to me his manhood. for days yeah, because you've insulted, yeah, his, insulted manhood. his manhood. Right, exactly. He couldn't stand the fact. So working became, oh my God, I have such a great story. I have to share this with you. Okay, so <laughs> I'm at work, right? And um, there was this consultant. This is also in the book, but this is a must. I have to share this. So this consultant used to come in and he was this like old, I have to use this word geezer. I'm sorry if it's not. I like the word geezer. Was. No, we use the word geezer a lot in the UK. Don't worry about it. Crack on. <laughs> All right, thank you. And so I was working at the front desk at the time, and he would always come up and harass me blatantly, right in, in you know in front of everybody. And of course, that's you see that everywhere um, in workplaces in Egypt. And this was just accepted, and you kind of just have to brush it off. But it started getting uncomfortable. He started you know, asking me about um, where I'm from. Uh, if I were to marry him, he would give me a car. You know, like, <laughs> stuff that is so inappropriate. No camels begin, then. Like, how? No camels then, Maggie. You went, no, offered any, you went offered any camels, just a car. <laughs> oh, no, oh, he offered me a, right. He offered me a, a house, a car, but no camels. Yeah, <laughs> you missed go. out, you missed but, out. Anyway, so <laughs> I, I had told the, the narcissist about this mm -hmm. and I was upset. I was really genuinely upset. I couldn't believe that someone was sexually harassing me in the workplace so obviously no one was standing up for me. And the narcissist just kind of like laughed it off. He was like, he's an old man. What could he do? What's wrong with that? And I looked at him, I was like, you, you told me as the man in the relationship that you're supposed to protect me from predators. Mm. You, that's what you sold to me when we first got together, that you're my big ass protector. And here you are totally, condoning you it. know, undermining, yeah, condoning, undermining my experience, making me feel like a fool when actually I was being harassed and he didn't care. And he was like, what am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? Beat him up? I'm like, no, that's not what I said. Of course, that's not what I want you to do. Just, you know, support me. Be there for me emotionally. I don't need you to do anything. You know, like, I feel like him in particular, but I think Egyptian men like to get into fights. Like, it's like in their, in the um, blood. their culture to, like, stand up for themselves and, like, start and pretend to throw punches even when they don't always do. I mean, I've seen plenty of street fights in Egypt, but not all of them end up in punches, right? But no, no, no. He, the narcissist, used to pretend that he was the big ass fighter, and here he was not fighting for me. Mm. You know what I mean? So, mm. 
that that's just an example of what would happen to me in the workplace. It's just absolutely horrible. And he would call me incessantly. He would never leave me alone. I could never get a task done without getting a message from him. Like, what are you doing? Who are yeah. you talking to? You know, and, and yeah. he just he would never leave me alone. He didn't want me there. He so, didn't want me to succeed. Sometimes he didn't they, want me to make money. Sometimes they can't control their own life. So they have to control yours. And also they control oh, like, yeah. the people coming in and out of it. It's not about the fact that they didn't want you making money. It's the fact that you've humiliated him with unwittingly. You know? You see, this is the contrast. I have the complete opposite. I'm the I, one working. He's lit, sitting on his backside. Now, I thought, he, love that. I thought he was working initially. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain later the scenario um to you another time but you see you can have complete on opposites you have the binary opposites in these particular scenarios but you know they they are clever they are clever at manipulation they are clever at undermining what i'm interested in in is you know when you said going back to when you said you know you had to work on yourself did you, did you end up going and having proper counselling or when when you I mean how did you escape or is that something you don't wish to discuss? Okay, so about the escape itself, um, I don't want to give away too much That's because it, you have to read it and you will just so basically, be listeners, amazed. listeners, we need to we need to read her book. Um, maybe in another podcast, another time, we might have you reading an excerpt perhaps to our to our readers Absolutely. perhaps we could do that another time sure. but we will give a link sure. we will give a link to your book obviously in the description of this podcast so that people can you know find your book and purchase it and hopefully you know you get uh, more people reading it is it just paperback or have you done a kindle version maggie it's paperback and kindle and it's yeah. available on all amazon marketplaces yeah. so you awesome. can get it literally everywhere awesome so Just without great. you know without dealing giving too much away obviously you you've then worked on yourself and you've sort of recovered from that i'm in a completely different stage to you where i'm i'm actually going through the divorce phase um i've not detached yet completely um i am doing so trying to but unfortunately, part of the system's against me as well as a female. They're not making it easy to, to divorce. And they're not making it easy to detach. Um, you're, you're, under, you're, you're married under Islamic law then, I take it. Yes. Um, but also, the thing is that the law is on his side as a man. Right. And exactly. this is also quite complicated because um, despite him many 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 times uh threatening divorce when he didn't get his own way and as i said to you i always said there's the door see you later bye uh partly the divorce situation was conversation came up when we were struggling to have a child we were struggling oh, right. to conceive and um lo and behold we were having some issues in regards to that and um you know again narcissistically it was all my fault it was not his it's mine it was all down on my shoulders uh, i'm the one to blame again not looking in the mirror not wanting to accept it's responsibility. always the victim's fault yeah yeah and also i had had surgery as well um in our in our first year of like relationship and marriage i, I was rushed into hospital i did have to have a myomectomy luckily it wasn't a hysterectomy um, and I had a large fibroid tumor removed. 
So, yes. Oh, wow. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, whilst I was in Egypt. So, yes, that gave him, like, fuel to fire, as in that's proof, that's proof, that's proof that you can't have children. Now, remember that when you get married in Egypt um, and quite a lot of other Middle East countries, they make the woman and the man do medical tests. I don't know if you know this or not. You're meant to have like an no, MO- I don't know that. you're meant to have an MOT, <laughs> so to check that your body's in working order. They do blood works, they do a physical examination, so that should these things come a- come around, you can't say to the other person, "This is your fault" or this or that, because sadly, you know, there's rising cases where people are divorced, or you know, Islamically, for example, and I'm only mentioning Islamically because it's the the concept that we're talking about. Um, some not all some people uh take on more than one wife and yeah obviously it can cause issues so it is best to address these things at the start okay so the whole concept of me not having children was repeatedly brought up by his family repeatedly where's the children where's the child why aren't you having a child now it doesn't make it easy when I'm also living in a completely different country because I've had to move in order to work, you know, because it's not sustainable right. enough for me to stay where I was together, okay? And I also tried to get him to come to that country, but, you know, paperwork, visas, job, no education, all these things went against him. And despite me trying very, very hard to get him in a different country, which I eventually did, it took me a year and a half to get him into a different country um, where a woman can't technically sponsor the man's visa, but we did it. We did it. Um, he still wouldn't work. And again, I was blamed, you know, for not having a child. Now, when I look for at how it... how many years didn't he work, just out of curiosity? Well, this is an interesting question, to be honest, Maggie. I don't really know the answer. I'll, t- I'll discuss that with you later on um, in right, private. Okay. Um, because work is a very interesting definition, shall we say? I'll leave it. I'll leave okay. it there for now. Leave it at that. Okay. Okay. I'll leave a bit of mystery. Um, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> there are there are concepts of you know um, your marriage, your relationship, where you're looking at this person, and like I said to you, certain things are used, you know, in a very horrible way to sort of undermine you, to bring you down. To, to knock on your you know your whole being and and I'm, I'll be honest with you my whole life started to fall apart when I couldn't conceive a child you know because it's very traumatic every time you're trying to conceive your hormones are all over the place your depression starts your, your hormones are just doing weird things to your body you know I was putting yeah. weight on in places I didn't think my hair was like thinning or falling out or and a lot of it is also stress you don't realize that the narcissist with the gaslighting does all these underlying things that has a big impact on your body you know and like you Absolutely. said yeah like you said when you sat there crying I never did the whole crying thing but I was very very exhausted all the time physically yeah. spiritually emotionally every day I thought I was happy but I actually when I look at it now as I've stepped away it was draining not just draining but it's the fear of of 
every day, every waking day that you experience. You know, it's not just like you have to you have to remember, like for those listening, like it's not just arguing, you know, like what one does in relationships. This is infiltrating mind magic twisting you know dark deep scary stuff that's happening manifesting in your body you know and and you wake up with that every day and you're permanently walking on eggshells with no escape you 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 don't even realize that no. there's an escape you can just step away you it's know not that easy but though is because it because you're under their spell you can't just walk away and that's why you know people ask me all the time like why did you stay yeah there's why the door why did you go but they don't understand that that, that person is yeah. taking away your whole essence of being your freedom your voice they've yeah. taken away every part of you to the point where you're not even a skeleton anymore you're just not yeah. you're just not and you i i love to say this is how i i like to phrase it i was in a golden cage mm. everything on the outside looks perfect everything the way i dress the way i look the way my relationship is perceived with my my narcissistic boyfriend the way, what i do in my life my hobbies everything from the outside i'm fine i have money i have a roof over my head everything's good but actually behind closed doors as soon as that front door closes and you're alone with that narcissist it is not okay you are just trapped as a prisoner to this person who wants to hurt you on purpose. Yeah. Because you know, people ask people ask me sometimes, do narcissists love? Such a big question, right? Mm. I am a firm believer that they do not love. They are incapable. They show their own way of loving, but can they actually love the way you and I do? Absolutely not. Initially No way. Initially when we're with them. Initially, when we're with them and we're going through that love bombing phase, as we as we discussed earlier, it feels like love. For example, like I had the most beautiful Valentine's Day gifts ever in my life. I had beautiful yeah. blue flowers. I don't know where he got them from. Blue happens to me be my favorite color. But the most gorgeous flowers that I would get when I was sick or I was not well. Uh, like I said, he would make me cups of teas. He would take the trash out. To me, this was love. He, I would come home from work. He would be ironing my clothes. I mean, this to me was love. He would take the trash out. These sound like silly things to you, perhaps. But to me, they were big things. This was someone that, you know, when I was cooking a meal, for example, um, for us both, and he would call me chef, you know, Chef Miriam. And I would be like, I actually enjoyed that. I actually enjoyed looking after him and caring yeah. for him. I would be, you know, I'd be having a crazy, crazy ass day. But I would love coming home and cooking a th like a three-course meal from scratch. I wouldn't even do that for myself because there are times I would just do beans on toast, for example. But the fact that I had company yeah. and I had someone to cook for that was enjoying my food and my gifts as a chef, I guess, I enjoyed it. But when you see this completely different side to them, as you are, as, as things start to crumble, that's what I'm saying to you, things start uh -huh. to crumble slowly and... For me, I was with him for six years. Those three years, it was perfect. It was bliss. Everybody looked at us as the perfect couple. We had similar characteristics, Same similar here. personalities. Yeah. They were like, wow, you are an amazing couple. You're awesome. And it's only when the cracks have started to show that you see things for the way they are. You know? 
And Definitely. It, and it's then when you start to look at it, and I'm not someone who's fooled easily, by the way. So he had to work a long time to suck me in. And yeah. this is the other thing about narcissists that some of them do the whole gaslighting and love bombing from the start. And they do the whole narcissistic control. And don't get me wrong, there were signs, but I kept nipping them in the bud, nipping them in the bud, as we've discussed already. You know, some things I was like, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that in my relationship. No, 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 no. And and I'm proud of myself for standing up to myself, for standing up to him and for me. And there are times when yeah. also I reflect back and go, oh, you should have hit him harder. Again, by the way, listeners, <laughs> I am not, I categorically am not condoning violence, but there are times. I don't know if you know the character of Medea, which is by Tyler Perry. Lord, help me, Jesus. No. <laughs> you need to look at that character where you're rocking yourself and thinking, woo, child, you know, hold back. But there are, there are times when I look back and you might think this is narcissistic of me, but I don't think it is. But I look back and go, mm, should have punched him harder, actually. Yeah, should have slapped him harder. Again, hey, I'm not condoning violence. You know oh, right. So what I was saying was the difference between empaths, so you and I. Yeah, definitely empaths. Versus yeah. narcissists <laughs> is that we know, because we have narcissism in, a, in us as well, of course. We do. But we know where the limits are. We know, when have I hurt this person across from me? And now... How can I use my empathy to show them that I'm deeply regretful, remorseful, and sorry? But the key word is also their compassion. You can also put yourself yeah. in another person's shoes, whereas narcissists only think about themselves. All they see is this straight line. They don't see left and right. They just see themselves, their gains, their worth, their want. And a lot of it, when you're thinking about love, like can they love, that rhetorical question that you said, some of it is they think they do. They think that this is love. It is not. It is not. The amount of times that I had to educate him. And again, I was told, don't teach, don't teach me like I'm one of your students. I'm just, well, stop acting like a little kid then. Because oh, the emotional maturity, the emotional maturity as well of a narcissist is very, very small. So when oh, they are walking four-year-olds. Yes. So they're also there's that part of them that psychologically is also broken. And you know, when I looked at my father-in-law, for example, my ex-father-in-law, I could see the same patterns. I was well aware, but I was also chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And you know, I I have yeah. been through a phase where I would fix people. That was my downfall. And I Me looked too. at yeah, yeah, I looked at him and I said to myself, I'm not gonna fix him. I'm going to help and support him. But actually, I was enabling. And I created yeah. my own demon. Word. Yeah, I also created my own demon without realizing it. So I made my own enemy for myself. I enabled it. And I yeah. take full responsibility of that. But without full. knowing it. Correct. Correct. So it's interesting, isn't it, how all these different dynamics and concepts come in. And, you know... When you are, like I said to you, when you are detaching and you're moving away, you, you have to rebuild yourself. And you don't realize, you know, a lot of people, like I've helped a lot of people with domestic violence, you know, over the years as a counselor. In fact, I'm still doing it today. 
I've been doing it recently. Amazing. And, um, one of the things, one of the reasons I set up my own podcast show was because I've done counselling for a long time, as you can probably tell from the way I'm I'm discussing tonight. Um, but it doesn't mean you stop learning. But the thing is that even though you're well equipped and you know when it's happening to you, you're still blurred. It's almost like you've got this cataracts going on. You know, because yeah. they, they mask things. And it's only when you see some truths, not fully, some, that you you start looking at the gaps and things don't add up. And it's like a jigsaw piece where the jigsaw pieces are all muddled up. Like you said, they take away your ability to see and to view. They don't love themselves. How You yeah. think they love you. You think that they care about you. you. Like all these things my husband did, you know, I thought he cared about me. But when I look at it now, I see that, no, this was just gas bombing. It was love bombing to get what he wanted at the end. He had an end goal, yeah? And in order to get it, he was playing like a game of chess. These were the strategic moves he needed to play to get the final result. Absolutely. And, And when you're in the midst of it, you don't realize that you're in a narcissistic fog. You just have no idea. You have no way of knowing no. until, like you said, the cracks start to show. I like to think of it as that the facade that they put on starts to come down. So, you know, they put on this yeah. persona of the, the, the perfect person, yeah. but actually they're totally imperfect. So yeah. they allow that side to start showing, but slowly, right? Because if sure. they showed their real selves to you, you'd run for the freaking hills. Which is ironically what I've done now because, um, you know, parts of this I will disclose and parts of it, I'm sorry, listeners, I'm not ready to disclose just yet. You know, all in good time. Sorry, but you're going to have to tune into another show to another time for the revelation. Not right yet. Sorry. <laughs> so there, there, are, there are times, Maggie, you know, where you do look at things and, and you are looking at your relationship and you're trying to work it out and... You know, it comes back to also that concept of self-love and self-worth. That you as a person, you know, your friends will keep telling you, you deserve better. You deserve better. Why aren't you leaving it? Why, why, you do, why, why? Oh, you know how to pick them. Oh, why is it you and so-and-so always pick similar people? And you're like, that's not actually helping me. You know? But you know what else? Your inner being is telling you that you don't deserve this. Correct. You just don't listen. Because Correct. you're taught by the narcissist, don't listen, don't trust Correct. you, don't trust yourself. Correct. You know? So that's why you keep, I knew from the first day I met him, he was danger. I felt it, I sensed it, and I knew it. And yet, because they're so conniving, they're so good at what they do with their manipulation, that you actually distrust yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you end up in a relationship like this, you can't escape they are so manipulative that you get stuck until they start showing their true color. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, everything changes. You start realizing that this person is a liar. And on top of that, you discover there's so many things that they've been hiding about themselves that you only put the, like you said, put the puzzle pieces together. And then you see the narcissistic fog goes away and everything makes sense. All the dark sides that they were trying to hide right crystal clear in front of you spot on and you're looking at it thinking why did i not see that before like i said to you you think you have cataracts 
in your eyes. Yeah. That's the best way I can describe it. It's plainly, visibly, clearly there. It's but you so don't obvious. see it. You don't see it because they've masked it so much and manipulated it so much that their version of the truth, which is lies, that famous quote, all lies in jest, a man who wants to see what he wants to see disregards the rest. Yeah, it's a song. Yeah. But it's true. You you have this tainted version of the truth, their perception of the truth, but it's actually reality, but it's not. So you're also on, on in this like psychedelic matrix, and I know it sounds weird what I'm saying, but it's I love true. It's true. You're in this like weird matrix, like what the hell? And then you're trying to like put it all together and think, what? No, 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 surely. And you end up also psychologically defending them. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. My partner wouldn't do that. No, you've got the wrong end of the stick. And again, this is how you lose your friendships because it gets to a point where your friend can only help you so much and you also cut them off because they're going against yeah. your partner. Or they they lose that tie with you. That support's gone. Same with family, you know? And again... That enables the narcissist to continue doing what they do. That's the ironic thing. And that is the bit that, that gives them power. You know, it yeah. gives them power and it gives them control. And it gives them this, you know, lethario sort of like attitude that I can do what I want. Now, the thing is, when you actually then leave, this is the one, this is the bit I want to really look into because... A bit like domestic abuse, violence, you know, um, assaultee victims, they struggle to leave and they end up going back many, 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 many times. Now, in my yes. scenario, he kept threatening to leave me and my response was, there's, there's the door, bugger off. I want you in my life, but I don't need you. See ya, bye. And he was almost insulted. <laughs> I said that. I think you're right, I'm badass. I think, I think you're right, I'm badass. But like, you are. <laughs> every survivor of this abuse is a badass. <laughs> period. That's how I see it. We are such superhuman strength people. Yes. You have no yes. idea. Listeners, if you guys are survivors <laughs> of this, you're badass. Do you know what? There We're going to go. give you a whoop whoop for surviving. Maggie, let's give him a whoop whoop. Whoop whoop. <laughs> <laughs> because you should be encouraged and you should be praised because i tell you what i used to think that somebody staying in that relationship was weak as mm -mm -mm, but they're not they are strong it takes a strong person to stay a strong person also to leave but a strong person to stay you are not weak you're not vulnerable you're not pathetic these are the things that other people will be will be saying to you which also does not help you leave Okay, but you're not. You're actually very, very strong for staying and putting up and tolerating because that yeah. is not easy. Carrying that on your shoulders is not easy because any Tough given time, correct, you can crack. Any given time, you're vulnerable and you can crack and it's all gone. The hard bit is then leaving. And they also, I mean, I know someone right now who I'm helping who is leaving someone very, very similar. And this individual, I'm counselling her, I don't want to disclose everything, but what I will say is this, that individual has made it very, very clear, very clear that financially, 
she's reliant on him. For the house, reliant on him. For the child, reliant on him. Every aspect of control is taken away to the point where even a family will not support. Yeah? Horrible. And it makes that person go back. In fact, when she did leave that relationship the first time and she persevered and went ahead, he feigned a heart attack. He feigned a heart attack. And they God bless her. He's in, his, he's in his late 20s, for crying out loud. But there was a part of her that was attached and there was a part of her, like us, a very good person, a human being with compassion, which is what a narcissist lacks. And despite being literally halfway through the journey of leaving that marriage, she turned around and went back. Oh, man. Now, don't get me wrong, she ended up still leaving in the first place. But the fact that she, she turned around, would he have done that for her? Hell no. No. Hell no. Of it's course not. interesting how they are very clever and cunning and manipulating. And, you know, if you're the one who's in hospital, for example, if you're the one who's injured or hurt, you ask someone to come and support you, they're not there. I mean, I've had the opposite. No. I had the complete opposite. I was love bombed and supported. You know, when I had my surgery, he was there in the operating theatre, which is unheard of. Did he make it, it about him? No, no, no. About me. He didn't really? leave my sight. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. This is what I'm saying. When I had my surgery, he was with me 24-7. And that was what made me actually fall in love with him. Because again... Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that he needed you even more than you think he did. If he actually let his narcissism be on the sidelines for a little bit, wow. Wow. He needed you big time. Oh, yeah. That's what that tells me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because usually what happens is that they make it about them. When I would be sick, just, just to interject shortly, yeah. when I would be sick, he would make it about him. What do you mean you're sick? Oh, my God. Let's take you to the hospital. Like, he, he would make a whole show out of it. A big drama. It's all about him. Wouldn't give it about me. I'm the sick one. You crazy? Mm. <laughs> I'm saying. Well, I had that as well. Oh, I had God. that as well later on. I had that later on. In the relationship, but at, at the beginning, I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the beginning when it's all that lovey-dovey stage, and um, oh, the right. the whole. Um, I think he, looking back, reflecting back, he could see she's not easily fooled. You know, yep, she's not. So let's just do this because this is the one thing where I'm going to tug at her heartstrings, and it worked. Because six years later, boom, now it's the end of the marriage. You know, because the, the 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 masks fall off. That's a phrase. You know, one of the one of the films I love the most is Batman, and one of the characters is Joker. And although I didn't see the film because unfortunately COVID happened, yeah. But you know, there was the the recent film with uh, I think it's Joaquin Phoenix. I might be saying his name wrong. Uh -huh. I might be pronouncing it wrong. However, I think it's Joaquin. Joaquin. I say Joaquin. I don't know why. <laughs> Joaquin, thank you. What do I know? I could be totally wrong. Don't listen to me. <laughs> but it's just me. I like to put different accents on things. Don't worry about it. The, the, the thing is that um, 
he you see although i didn't see it but i know the synopsis is of how he actually becomes the joker and why he becomes the joker and ironically you know the ex-husband kept using that in messages and i was really disturbed by this whole persona oh. of them and then now i look at it psychologically and i see oh my god the mask fell off it's almost like a two side you know not necessarily bipolar yeah. or schizophrenia but you were portraying one particular aspect of yourself and then as soon as you've got what you wanted or you can't do it anymore the mask falls off because the other thing the narcissist does very 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 well is play a role i must yeah. admit they are amazing actors or Great actresses because remember narcissists can be female too guys but it is true they are amazing actors or actresses and they will manipulate control they will take advantage they will play that part very 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 well very yeah. well they have to pull you in how how best to do that be the best actor you can pretend to be someone you're not literally yeah that's how it works yeah and they will do it for so long and they run out of steam and energy. And some of them are playing different cards and different spinning plates at different points as well. And that's, oh, the, yeah. that's the thing. They, they try to be puppet master, not just with you, with others too. And sometimes they think that they can play it very well, but they've got to understand that requires energy. And it requires determination and it also requires being able to remember the other individual's situation and scenario, you know, and they can't always yeah. do that. They can't always do that. Now, you yes. know, when you're when you're then, you know, coming back to you, you, you took two years out, you know, and I, I, how has that journey? Are you, would you say you're fully recovered now or are you still working on self? I would say there's no such thing as being fully recovered from abuse. That's my personal opinion. I think this is um, a continuous, I'll call it project, for lack of better words. You are, I personally am constantly working on myself every single day. Does every day get easier? Absolutely. I started, when I first left Egypt, actually, sorry, escaped Egypt. That's actually what happened. Um, I was in a really, really bad place. You know, I, I, like I said earlier, I was drinking myself to death. I would go hungover to class because I, I went back to university after that. I was going on date after date after date and intentionally finding people who like are similar him. to him. Like him. Because yeah. I... Because you're following the pattern. Yeah. Exactly. But I enjoyed knowing that I knew what the pattern was. Yeah. So I would be dating these guys and then dropping them and then dating them and then dropping them just to get that, that high. Like it was almost like yeah. a form it of becomes revenge. It was so it becomes unhealthy. It becomes addictive, Maggie, because it's, it's there. Um, what they've done there is they've taken away your whole concept of being. So because you don't have self-love and self-care, you think that's all you're worth. So you will go yeah. looking for relationships like that where you've got that energy vampire. Let's call them that. They're an energy vampire. They and are. you're the person that's the empath and that gives, gives, gives. There's no balance. There's no equilibrium, you know? It's one-sided. But there's also yeah, so. 
a concept of you, sorry to interrupt, there's part of you also that is establishing, and I, I had to deal with this in my, in my youth, needy behavior. There is a part of us that has that very needy, almost like claws. We need them to want us. We need them to, to want us and to, to feel like, uh, please love me. Please, please like know? me. And it's because we don't love ourselves. Exactly. I was just going to get into that. That is how, that was the real escape plan out of this. Yeah. Because once you leave the narcissist, you have to figure out how the hell did I get myself into this in the first place? <laughs> yeah. You have to identify why, why, how could I have allowed this to happen to me? Yeah. What is wrong with me that I allowed this to happen to myself? So I had to look inside and I actually reached a breaking point where I was drinking so much that I, I would drink a bottle or two of wine a day. Ooh. I'd be getting myself into serious trouble with guys. I had guys ch choking me sometimes. Um, you know, it, oh my God, there's just so much, so much bad stuff. I don't want to give too much away because this is all in the book. But, no, but, but I hope a lot you of got help, that I allowed to happen. I hope you got help yeah, and, eventually for that. Oh, well, well, this is what happened. So I... I reached this breaking point and I knew that I had to change myself or I would risk falling back into this behavior again of getting into some dipshit life and have him control me again. I just couldn't, I couldn't, I cared too much about myself. There was this inner yeah. voice, this weak voice at the time saying, save yourself. Don't Maggie, let this happen again. Maggie, so, you know, it takes I, a lot. It takes a lot. I know I'm using a lot of songs, but Michael Jackson, man in the mirror, you know, I've got to look in the man in the mirror. I've got to be the one that makes that change. And it's true because yeah. until you start looking at that person in the mirror and going, you're okay. I love you. I like you. I care about you. Even though I see a gray hair, a bald head, goofy teeth, whatever. I love me. And I, and I think that is taken away. And it's, that's why we do what we do. We, we, we have all these patterns that we can't break. We keep repeating the same cycle, whether it's our family, whether it's generational, whether it's just like part of the feminine, masculine. Sometimes it can be, like you said, it's the generational ancestral line that has to be broken. Yeah. And sometimes exactly. we're the one that has to do the shadow work to do it. Right. And the best way to do that, because I know that there are a lot of people listening right now thinking, all right, well, you're talking about these patterns, you keep repeating them, how do you stop them? Mm. That's a really difficult question. But for me, what I did was look inside, and that meant doing yoga, meditating, exercising. All of a sudden, I stopped drinking. I stopped mm. smoking cigarettes. Mm. I most importantly, I think this was really um, a, an integral part of this, let's say, healing plan mm. was removing toxic people. So yes. that meant analyzing everybody in my close proximity. Who are these friends that I call friends? Mm. Who are they? Are they are they hurting me or are they good for me? Mm. So I slowly started dropping friends family members and not caring because I knew that they were only hurting me 
Mm. And keeping me in this pattern of narcissistic abuse, you have to break out of the ones who want to keep you a prisoner in that. Mm. So I did all of those things. And I'm not in any way saying that I'm healed and that I'm so much better now. I I have my issues. Let me tell you, I still wake up sometimes in fear. You know, when when I first left Egypt, I would see a shadow every single day before I would sleep. Every single day when I would take my dog out for a walk, I would see a shadow right in front of the door. It makes me actually emotional. I could still cry about it because it's so it's so intense. And it would, this shadow would be his height, his width, and he would just be standing there. And I would slam the door shut quickly because in fear of him, my biggest fear was that he would come and abduct me. That, mm-hmm. that was my biggest fear. So there, therefore, I would see his shadows. He would be in my dreams constantly for years and only until I started working on myself did I stop seeing that shadow and now when he comes in my dreams I I I this is how I describe him now he's just a peaceful ghost just passing by oh look there's that face I recognize (laughs) you don't scare me anymore yeah Yeah, exactly yeah sometimes now and now I'm more at peace yeah you know now I can I still struggle uh, with it, I, especially because I'm in I'm in a new relationship now, oh, much healthier one. I'll give good. you that. I'm glad. But I still struggle with it in, in that I get triggered by certain sure, things. Sure, because and that's a whole topic it, in itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, I mean, I've called this um, again, and I, I, I know I keep stealing people's lines, but this is the best phrase. I mean, the Clint Eastwood. It's my dad's fault. The Clint Eastwood film of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's true that in in your relationship and with yourself, you do have to look at the good and the bad and the ugly within yourself and yeah. accept all three aspects of that sort of like synchronicity. This is me. This is who I am. There are times I'm not a very good person. I'm not good at this. I have, I have accepted really shitty relationships, really shitty friendships, but that's because my standard was down. My, the bar was down. Because I used to think this was acceptable and it's not. This person is actually toxic. See you later. Bye. But also you're putting barriers in place. And the more you do that, the more you're enabling yourself. You're loving yourself. You're respecting yourself. And that's what we don't see. It's not that you're being ruthless and um, being, you know, lack of empathy. No, 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 no. You're actually protecting yourself in like a little bubble and saying, no, that doesn't roll with me anymore. This particular aspect doesn't roll with me anymore. This particular person don't want them anymore because their mindset is not the same as yours. You've moved, you've developed, you've advanced, you know, and you're saying to yourself, I'm worthy of more as well. That's where the self-love comes in, you know, and that's the thing that the narcissist stops us from achieving. And sometimes we're our own damn enemy, we're our own damn enemy. We do it to ourselves. We allow it to happen to ourselves. You know, we allow ourselves. Yeah. You you had different options, you know. You could have stayed making them same patterns. Let me tell you, it takes a lot of guts. I admire you. And I think a lot of people listening would also be the same because I'm the same. You get to a point where you're like, no, not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. I deserve better. I deserve, you know, whatever the addiction is, whatever the situation is, because addiction comes in all forms, you know? Yeah. And that's why I'm saying to you, using the Clint Eastwood phrase of the good, the bad, and the ugly, but it's true. I can't think of any other way to put it because, (laughs) you know, it is. You have to sort of accept that part of you, that there is a part of you 
that's allowed this to happen, but no more. You'll raise your boundaries, you'll raise your barriers. You know, I've come out of yeah. this, for example, I've had huge bouts of depression, huge bouts of depression to the point where some people don't even realize how traumatic it's been. But then yeah. at the same time, my, my personality, as you can tell, is very humoristic. And it's a very warm, kind, loving, caring personality where my friends have said to me, ooh, we, you've been ruthless. So you get to a point <laughs> when you leave a narcissist and you're going through recovery, a bit like an Eminem soundtrack now, but you are losing yourself, you're finding yourself again, but also, you know, um, you, you keep moving on, you keep soldiering on, and you get to a point where you're so ruthless that you just don't care what comes out of your mouth anymore as well. That's dangerous, by the way. That's where I'm at. I'm at the stage where I don't give a flying <clears throat> anymore. I will speak my truth and I will stand my ground. I am not going to be, um, you know, quietened. I'm not going to be hushed. I'm not going to be silenced. No matter the threats, no matter the physical threats, whether it's on my life. Now nah, I'm going to speak my truth. And even if certain people try and block my uh, truth and block you know where i'm coming from maggie block my um ability to express myself and what's happened to me i will keep talking my truth you know because these you should never stop ever talking about how you feel talk about the honest truth because what is the point of pretending that's something i realized too along the way yes. you by being open and honest, and by the way, I think this is a side effect of leaving a narcissist. By being open and honest, you are helping others. And if someone across from you can't handle that, goodbye. See ya. Oh, my God. You don't want to hear the honest truth? Good luck. You know what? Hopefully, you'll figure out your own truth in this lifetime. But yeah. guess what? I did. Yeah. I had somebody who I don't know, but it was a friend's parent, put it this way, that I've never met. And the friend's parent was asking about my marriage status. Because, you know, people do, like, are you married? Have you got children? Da, 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 da. I said, no, I, I filed for divorce and hopefully I'll be divorced soon, officially. But technically, I'm single. And the comment I got was, ooh, you can't do that. Ooh, you can't do that. Ooh, you can't do that. Almost with this Victorian mindset. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm not being rude to that individual because I love the person's uh, child that's come out of that marriage. But, again, coming back to that word of monarchism, like double standards, you're in the same damn situation, sister, yourself. Only I've got the balls and the kahunas to leave. And that's what you can't yep. cope with. Yeah? So you're going to also keep me trapped in that circle, vicious cycle. Nah, nah, nah. I'm showing you an escape plan. I'm showing you that I've yep. dug a tunnel. And I've got a big hole at the end of it. There's a big white light. You can follow me if you want. You can bring your safety jacket. You can dig out of the tunnel yourself. Here's a spade. Do you know what I'm saying? You can give all these Absolutely. tools, but some people will just stay where they are. Because. And that's. Okay. So now we need to think about how, you know, people can deal with narcissistic abuse, what they can do, where they can go, maybe to get help. Obviously, you've written your book, Maggie, which we mentioned at the beginning. You know, we'll we'll put the link, as I said, in the captions. Um, what would you advise somebody to do? Obviously, you're doing lots of 
you know, awareness on this, on your Instagram channel, um, which again, will provide the link for people to look at. What would you say to people, you know, to do in order to get help? What would you say, Maggie, they need to do? What's your top, top couple of, you know, pieces of advice? I think your best weapon is knowledge. Really. I mean that with every ounce in my body because the reason why I was able to get through this is not just my my self-will and and my, my love, you know, for my inner being, but it was knowing fully the ins and outs of what was going on. So that took a lot of Googling. Really, that's what I did. And I ended up also buying books about narcissism. Maybe you're not an avid reader uh, for those listening, but you have to find the resources, get yourself educated about what narcissistic abuse is. And then from there, things start really falling into place because you're so aware of what's going on with you. Mm. And you're also, because you have the knowledge, there's more bravery all of a sudden involved because you start kind of dismantling the power that you, you put around this narcissist only to see inside this little, weak, insignificant nobody. And then you're free. So really, my advice to those of you listening, if you think you're being abused emotionally or by narcissists, you have to read more about what it means to be abused by someone like that. And I can tell you this, if you're hearing this for the first time and you're you're kind of questioning Mm -hmm. yourself, like, am I being emotionally abused? I don't know. Just type in, open your Google browser, do it right now. Type in characteristics of the narcissist. Yeah. Your whole life will change. That's how my life changed. For me, it's being aware of the fact that it's not just emotional abuse. I think in, in my like um, 30 plus years of having been around this, in fact, you could say 40 plus years of being around this, it's, it's emotional abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse, spiritual abuse, financial abuse. Um, as, yeah. as I said to you, Maggie, just during the little break we had, I'm currently writing a book about this. You'll stay tuned, listeners. It'll be out soon at some point, hopefully in the summer. Again, I know I'm leaving you on tender hooks there, but I am writing a really good book where, you know, you'll see lots of different aspects of this as well. And abuse is one of those very interesting things that as our society is changing and morphing, it's becoming very different, complacent as well. And also, some things have been normalized where they shouldn't be. In some cultures, the more you travel, one aspect of abuse is normalized. In another society, it's not, which also causes lots of other complex issues, which is another topic for another time, you know. But for us personally, you know, it's about um, empowering yourself. I think that for me is my thing coming out of it. It comes back to what you're saying, Maggie, you know, about the knowledge. But it's also empowering yourself realizing your worth realizing that you're a good human being and you don't deserve to be treated like this you know and you don't deserve to even accept like you know this situation or scenario that there are other options for you and the more that you see that the more you channel into yourself and and, and channel the energy away from the narcissist or the gaslighting into yourself the more rewarding it will be. And that often is the hardest thing as well to do. So, you know, if you are, yeah. And if if you are listening to this and, you know, I am going to put a trigger warning at the start of this podcast because 
you know, there are things that are going to trigger people, understandably. And, you know, Maggie, Maggie and I don't want to hurt anyone, do we, Maggie? You know, of course not. We, we want to empower people, but we do realise that it's a very difficult topic to talk about. It can happen to anyone of any age, any gender, any sex, you know, any nationality, any culture, any religion. It does not just specifically target certain people. Okay. So yeah, just... and can I just say that for those of you who are listening and, and you have an, an, just an inkling that you're being abused in this way, believe me when I say that you're valuable, you're important, yeah. you have an amazing, unique personality that everyone around you is lucky to be around. Don't let the narcissist in your life make you feel like you're invaluable. It could not be further from the truth. Yeah. And if you need to hear it more often, contact myself or Miriam. <laughs> we'll build you up in two yes. seconds. Yes, like that. Yeah, we have to we have to have people empower ourselves. And you know, just to finish off, we love you, we care about you. There are good people still out there. Don't think that you're by yourself, because you're not. You're not. And, you know, we will leave our details in the in the description. You can get in touch with us. That's not a problem. And we're here to help and guide you. We want to thank you, don't we, Maggie, for tuning in? Absolutely. It's been a very interesting podcast. I'm sure this is the first of many, inshallah, God willing. Correct, Maggie? Hint, hint. <laughs> I'm so listen. I'm so excited that we did this together. You have yeah. such a bubbly personality. Thank you have you. An, a fantastic spirit. This Thank felt you. so natural and so wonderful. It's amazing how the universe just makes things happen. This Indeed. this relationship was meant to blossom. I can't wait to continue to do this and make more podcasts and really educate people about yeah. this and wake people up. You know, and, yeah. and just take the power away from narcissism yes. and put it back inside the empath. That's put what this back. is all about. That's, that's all why it, we do this every day. That's all it is. So, guys, if you've been listening to this and if any of it resonates, you know, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. You're not lonely. You're not someone who's broken. If anything, you're beautiful. You know, you can always put the pieces of your life back together. We've given you both examples of where we've both done that. And... Your life is what you make it. We're both going to say to you, God bless, Maggie. God bless. Universe bless. I'm an atheist. All right. Bless then. <laughs> or blessings. She had, to throw, she had to throw that one in, didn't she? But blessings. Sorry, I just had to do it. Yeah. No, you have to be authentic self. So I'm personally sending you, you know, God bless, blessings, whatever your faith, whatever your religion is. You know, we, we, we salute you. We respect you. And I'm sure there'll be a lot more coming from us in the future. Take care for now. Goodbye from me, Miriam Khan, raise your vibes. And goodbye from Maggie. Maggie, do you want to say goodbye? <laughs> Sorry, it's lagged. <laughs> goodbye and, and, and looking forward to continuing this awesome journey together. Have an awesome day, guys. Bye-bye.